Hey, check out the NPR One app for your phone. You can use it to listen to How to Do Everything, and it's a great way to find tons of new shows and stories. Great hand-curated podcasts and stories are always ready when you are on NPR One. Find it on your app store, NPR O-N-E. So one thing that is important for cities is measuring air quality and, and air pollution. And this is something that can change dramatically from block to block even. Roman Lacombe from Plume Labs designed a very, very small, lightweight air quality sensor. But the trick is how do you get those sensors into the air to test the air quality? So, Roman, can you tell us how you did it? We actually flew a uh, pigeon air patrol over London. So we worked with a pigeon fancier in London and, uh, and vets as well to make sure the, the birds um, that, that, that we use were in the best condition possible. And uh, we stitched uh, little backpacks on uh, harnesses that are designed uh, for pigeons to wear uh, and to carry a payload. We made the sensors as light as possible. And uh, for a period of uh, uh, three days in, in London, um, the birds gathered uh, the level of pollution along the path that they would take to fly from central London all the way back to their uh, uh, their home, uh, so to speak. I feel like we should just stop for a second, jump in and, and emphasize what what we're talking about right now is pigeons wearing tiny backpacks. The same pigeons you see in any city across the country, these dirty sky rats wearing backpacks. So are these are these just sort of regular everyday pigeons wearing backpacks no 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 that's actually uh the the key to the experiment here they are um professional pigeons so, so to speak uh they, they are literally racing pigeons i mean these birds are uh, amazing and so the way we worked with them was to uh, train them to fly as a flock with uh, several pigeons in the flock wearing pollution sensors or gps sensors so that when they landed we could uh gather the data and the exact path they had taken and that helped us have uh, sensing of, uh, in this case, nitrogen, dioxide, and ozone, so two pollutants, two gases that uh, impact uh, not only the environment, but our health and our well-being. Roman, uh, when you were trying out this pigeon patrol, I, I imagine most of the time you were thinking about uh, the importance of the work and the data you were getting and the things you were communicating. But did you, did you from time to time um, find yourself thinking, this is just really cute. It 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 it, it, it really it really is it really is. Um, and it took me a while to realize it. Um, I think the moment it really struck me was seeing the birds fly, and, and more than cute, it was actually beautiful. Uh, it was very elegant, and seeing the first flight soar uh, above the. Uh, uh, the house of the pigeon fancier, and then across the skies of London was actually a pretty uh, pretty moving experience. Well, Roman, thank you so much for telling us about this project. Thank you so much for having me. It was a, a pleasure answering your questions. Hey, we want to tell you about the people that give us money. And this week, that's the Lagunitas Brewing Company. Lagunitas began doing everything on a kitchen stove in Northern California in 1993. From actually getting beers into bottles and onto the streets, Lagunitas looks to the future. From expanding the Petaluma Brewery to building a second in Chicago and soon a third in Azusa, California. Which I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing correctly. Lagunitas could probably make good beer on the moon. Because wherever you go, beer speaks. People mumble. More mumblings at lagunitas.com. Uh, our other sponsor this week is Weebly. 
you don't have to be a web designer or no code to create a fantastic website with Weebly, created for people with the courage to start their own business and the dream to be their own boss. Choose from professionally designed, mobile-friendly themes. Choose. Then simply drag and drop to quickly build and publish your site and update your site on any device. Get started for free at weebly.com slash everything. That's W-E-E-B-L-Y dot com slash everything. Hey, Ryan, what can we help you with? I have a coworker who talks a lot, and this would not be a problem except that when he talks, he spits constantly. Ooh. And it has been a annoyance. It has been a gross annoyance for a while. But it finally came to a point of no return when we were at a team lunch a couple weeks ago. And every time I put my sandwich up to my mouth, I noticed, and he was sitting across from me, that I kept getting hit by droplets. Wow. The, the backs of my hands were. And so at a certain point, as there is this spitter web of saliva on the backs of my hands, I realized that how much of that is also going on my sandwich? And so the, the question that I have is actually it's a two-parter. Number one, what do you do about the spitter? And, and number two, how do you make sure that you also are not a spitter? Uh, how, uh, just, uh, how close are you sitting to this uh, spitter? I was at lunch table, so maybe three feet away. Okay, wow. And what kind of volume yeah. are we getting here when you think about the amount of spit? Um, I would lean toward tablespoons. Mm. Oh. I mean, it's, it's not an insignificant amount, certainly. It's, it's a lot of spit. Did you, uh, did you finish the sandwich? <laughs> you know, I did. I, I did. Well, tell me this. When, when do you think the next time is that you're, you're going to have to have lunch with, um, with the spitter? I think, you know, oh, actually, we have a happy hour coming up in a couple of days. Oh, boy. And, you know, I, right, exactly, because people are going to be drinking a lot of liquid. I mean, yeah. the, the benefit there, though, is that you're not going to be able to tell if, it's, if he spits into your drink. It'll be more difficult to notice. That's, that's true. But I also, I think, will make it a point to sit a few spots away from him and give someone else the benefit of that baptism. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what? It makes it actually occurs to me. Maybe this is why they have those little umbrellas uh in cocktails. That's probably true. Now, I'm a beer drinker, so I may be inclined to to take you up on that except an umbrella in a pint of beer would look a little odd, I think. We'll we'll see if we can find you a better solution. <laughs> I appreciate it, guys. All right, Ryan, I think the thing to do is actually um, just try and protect you as, as best we can. Kind of maybe get you, in, get you in a hazmat suit for lunchtime. Some sort of gear. On the line with us now is Sue Watkins. She taught protective clothing design at Cornell University for 30 years. So, Sue, what, what do you think? Could, is there a kind of hazmat suit we can get Ryan into? Well, functional designers usually begin by... Uh, really finding out what the user needs. Uh, so if you're just protecting the food, it's almost like one of those salad bar things, you know, the, the clear plastic shield that comes out so you don't cough on the, on the salad bar. You need a shield for the food. And um, most hazmat suits, you wouldn't be able to 
eat yourself. I mean, there's no way to get the food in there. So if you look at protective clothing, if you look at hazmat suits, a lot of them have what's called positive pressure. In other words, you feed air into them so that if there's a puncture of the suit or, you know, something happens to disrupt it in some way, that the air rushes out and pushes all the germs that you don't want to get in there. People at the Center for Disease Control use these, where you're totally inflated so that if one molecule of a deadly disease comes your way and you get a break in the suit, the air rushes out and pushes it away. So what I was thinking about is that instead of wearing a hazmat suit, you know, a cover of some kind or a raincoat or a hockey mask, that you think about using that principle of positive pressure. So if you had a mechanism on of some kind. It could even be one of those personal fans. You know those ones that you hang around your neck? And you could aim it in such a way that when he spit, it would, the air would be strong enough to force it right back in his own face. Yes. You could even do this with a reasonably sized button. If it was a woman, I'd I'd make her a necklace and have it be a burst of airflow that would be a shield that would just force it back into the spitter's own face so each you, time it happened. You mean like a necklace and the pendant on the necklace was a fan that was Absolutely. Point- or some, somehow the air escapes through there. You could have the fan in a variety of places and a tubing that fed it uh, through. Or you could, you know, if you were really good at doing this, you could have a voice-activated one and have it every time his voice is heard and have it be a burst of air that would spit it back at him. Well, that would also have the benefit of alerting this guy to the fact that he's spitting all the time, his own spit. That's true, but it's sort of a stealth alert. You know, I favor a stealth offense in this case. I I like the necklace, too, because I feel like, you know, a a shoulder-mounted fan or or some (laughs) of these, or like on the hat, you know, you're... It's kind of clear what you're doing, but you could have like a really nice kind of gold propeller pendant that, you know, most of the time it just looked like you, you know, were into airplanes or something. If you've got an outlet, you don't even have to have the fan part of it showing. I mean, if you could have the actual air movement thing somewhere else and have it come out of either a button or a tie tack would be ideal. If you're wearing a tie, you've got a wider area, you could have three or four little air outlets, and you get quite a bit of compressed air through there. You know, in terms of communicating to this guy that he has a problem, but in a way that that isn't uh, rude or insulting, Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's uh, a fabric that would respond in color to, you know, the (laughs) pH of spit, you know? That's lovely. Yeah, I like that a lot. Certainly there are. Yeah. There are lots of possibilities there. So you could like make a shirt and maybe even a tablecloth out of that. He would see the um, you know the vector of his spray. Mhm. It doesn't protect the wearer, but the message is received. You know, the, those fabrics, what is a what is a sort of a already used application of of a fabric that does that? I know a number of fabrics that change color for from different things. I can think of things like, I mean, firefighters wear strips of fabrics on their garments sometimes that will show when there's when the heat is beyond what their gar- when when they really need to get out of the structure. Oh, really? If, if they can see the color change, they know that they are way beyond their ability to be protected. 
But I don't know about just plain old water. I'm trying to think of an end use for it. Yeah. Still, though, this would be a great indicator to everybody at the lunch table that they're now being inundated with enough spit that it's unsafe <laughs> to finish their meal. <laughs> hmm. Maybe this guy doesn't want to eat lunch with him anymore. Maybe he's spitting to try and get him to find another lunch partner. <laughs> the spitter called a different show and asked, how can I get out of having to eat lunch with this guy? And the solution was spit all the time. <laughs> well, there you go. That's probably it. Hey, this was really fun. Thank you so much. You're quite welcome. Well, that does it for this week's show. What did we learned today, Mike? Well, I learned that uh, on firefighters uniforms they have special fabric that changes color depending on the temperature it's nice to think about a, a kind of practical application of of hypercolor gear it's going to be interesting if maybe in every profession you could wear something that would change color depending on the environment you're in i think it would it, it would be good um you could have sort of a clothing that responded to uh social mistakes i think that would be nice and every time you told somebody about a tweet you made earlier, your oh. clothes would become a little more transparent. Or like, um, you know, if you were on the sidewalk looking down at your phone and, and um, sort of blocking other people's paths, um, your, your pants would just evaporate. Yeah. Every time somebody says, oh, I had this dream last night, their clothes just burst into flames. You know, I, I think about these pigeons Wearing backpacks? Yeah. Do you think that maybe there are dad pigeons who wear fanny packs? Oh. And and somehow they wear sandals? Yeah. On their on their talons. Yeah. I guess those are burden stocks. That's that's what a pigeon would wear is uh burden burden stocks with sandals. Yeah, I guess that's true. What would an alligator wear? We should, uh, we should probably just stop this before it gets any... Crocs. How to Do Everything is produced by Nadia Wilson with technical direction from Lorna White. Our interns this week are Aaron and his daughter Lydia. Lydia uh, has been sleeping on the job. Um, it's, uh, the job happens during her nap time, so we're, we're going to allow it. She's doing a great job. Keep it up, Lydia. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. You can visit our website at howtodoeverything.com. Dot org. I'm Ian. I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks. This show may be finished. Our voices may cease to speak. But there are other shows where people are still talking. Well, we will soon be but a memory. Uh, you should check out the newest NPR podcast, Embedded, each week. Embedded takes you to a new place out in the world searching for the people behind the headlines. This week on Embedded, hear what addiction looks like up close in a drug house. In rural Indiana, ground zero for an unexpected crisis. Listen and subscribe to Embedded Now at npr.org slash podcasts and on the NPR One app.